Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I've been out for a few episodes, so I'm going to come back with enthusiasm and vigor, and I've got two amazing guests on today. We're just going to kind of go right into it. Both, obviously, been on the show before, so not new in terms of names or faces. If you're watching the video podcast, thank you. Um, so we've got Travis, who was at Challenge Roth, and then Ben, who took third place professional male at Challenge Roth. Now, I'll do a quick little background on Ben. He's awesome. He's an Olympian. Kicks my ass. He's uh, he's, he's a great training buddy. He's got the business acumen, acumen of the best of the pro triathletes out there. He's always thinking about how to make himself better, stronger, and creating a brand. So Ben, you and I have always connected well on that level. Travis, you were in Roth as like, we'll get into that story real quick too. Like you were covering the pro aspect of it. You were in the, in the trenches, you were talking to everybody. So I want to get both perspectives on either side of this race from what Travis went through and what Ben went through. So I think, I mean, I'm having a hard time knowing where to start. So Ben, you took third place. You get, you get dibs. Um, yeah. So, so what, um, what was it that motivated you to go to Roth over any other iron distance event and, you know, give me some highlights. Yeah. Thanks. Um, thanks for the intro too, by the way. Um, I always feel like on these podcasts, I need you guys all to like follow me around to be my hype guys. Cause you can do it so much better than <laughs> <laughs> myself. Um, so I mean, Roth is, uh, the reason why I picked it is cause, uh, way back in November, I qualified, I took my world slot for Ironman and then they changed everything and they split the race and it was going to be, it's in Nice this year, as we all know, and Kona next year. Um, and I was basically sitting there going, okay, I don't really care. It's a world champs. I'm going to go race and just don't put it on September 9th. Cause that's my brother's wedding. And they picked that exact weekend. And thankfully, <laughs> because I qualified before the announcement was made, they gave us the choice to roll the slot. And so I, I rolled it. I now have the longest Kona build probably of all time. Um, <laughs> but then I was sitting there thinking, like, I want to get some experience and I want to be able to be ready for the world champs. So there's really no better way to do that than to go to Roth because it's the biggest race outside of Kona. It's... um like just got the pressure. It always has a good start field. And I felt like I had gotten the distance right the first time uh, in Arizona with pretty minimal training for Ironman. Um, but I wanted to test against, you know, what a world championship caliber field would be like. And Roth just stood out. It was the one race, honestly, that super motivated me. The only other thing that I could kind of think of is if you pick maybe a cool Ironman that you have some history at or something like my dad raced the very first Lake Placid. Um, so it would have been kind of cool to go back to that, but as far as like timing, like how big the race was, the start field, all of that, like Roth just checked all the boxes and, um, you know, it's pretty rare for an American to go over and, you know, actually hit that race well. So I thought that that was kind of a, a cool aspect as well. And it honestly, it exceeded all of my expectations, like across the board. I figured it would, um, Travis, to you, your point, you went as, Super, super fan, super broadcaster. Um, Challenge brought you on as a little bit of added flair. 
to kind of add some what I, I mean, you tell me why they brought you on there because I don't know all the details. What, what was the purpose? Yeah, so they held a competition to become the field reporter for the event and also to be the face of their social media and everything and help do content. And so I submitted a funny video and they picked it. They actually called me the next day, the whole team, and they, they said they watched it so many times. They loved it. So I, yeah, I flew out there as their field reporter and doing a lot of social media for them and behind the scenes, interviewing pros, talking to pros, a lot of that stuff. So. That was sick. I mean, did you actually run into Ben while you were out there doing your, your job? Yeah, definitely. Several times. You were on the moto, right? Yes. And I was on the moto. I saw yeah. Ben flying. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was so hard. Funny enough, that was the first time I've ever been on a moto at a race. And I thought, honestly, it would be much easier that position to get ahead of the pros, get ahead of them. Then Belinda and Jan would come down to me on the commentary and I'd be able to tell about what's going on. But just with all the age groupers on there and how fast you guys were going on the day, even on a motorcycle, it was so hard to get to the next spot before you guys. So just a little bit of behind the scenes there. It isn't so quick, so much quicker on a moto. So, <laughs> well, we didn't help you out either by being spread across by like 20 minutes across the men's pro field. And then, you know, the women's field split everything up too by like 20 minutes. So nobody was really doing you any favors on the day. Absolutely. They would say when Daniela would go by, they'd be like, okay, if you could wait for the second place woman and then also go catch the men, I'd be like, all right, that's a long time. <laughs> I'll yeah. be here a while. <laughs> yeah, I remember I did Ironman Switzerland once, and it was like my I did Ironman Austria as my first Ironman, and then Ironman Switzerland like two weeks later, and Daniela was racing there, and it was when she was most dominant. And I I was a decent swimmer. I came out, and I think she was like maybe a minute behind me, but then like she caught me on the bike and rode off me for like. I don't even know, like 35 minutes, the cameras were all behind me. I was like, would you guys leave? I don't want all of this here. Like <laughs> I'm pretty far back. Like I need, I need some space, but she's incredibly strong on the bike to that point. Like, I can't believe it sometimes when she's on fire, it's, it's remarkable to watch. So you had that, you had the eyes on every pro athlete and Ben real quick. Um, you know, what about this race? has something unique versus like a typical Ironman event that athletes should like put on their bucket list for what, what do you think makes Roth so enticing? Yeah, I would say, so I'm going to tell a story about the professional side, but I think it bleeds into the age grouper side. In fact, I know it does. It's just how much they care about this race and how accommodating they are. And, you know, I was flying out there, um, yeah, uh, you know, and I was dropping my wife and kids off in Denver, basically. So we were all flying the first leg of the trip to Denver. And then I had a long haul to Munich and they were picking me up there. And um, Courtney had posted on social media, just a quick story. And I reposted it and somebody at the race saw that and they went into panic mode thinking that my entire family was coming and how are they going to pick us up, get us the homestay and all of that. And they just were asking me about like, Hey, like when I got picked up, Hey, is, is your family here? Is it just you? And then had my homestay. She started texting me. She's like, is it true that your family's coming? I'm like, no, 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 no. I just, you know, I dropped them off. And then finally they told me the story when they saw that their entire office went into like crisis mode where they're like, we have to find space. Like we have to pick them Aww. up, make sure it's all good. And I was like, Oh, I would not do that to you guys. Like just, show up unannounced with like three extra people and like two babies essentially so yeah that's a young um, that just 
<laughs> I mean, he he has his own entourage, but I know. Um, I uh, but that that was just the start, and then from the moment I got into my homestay, they just like would hardly let me do anything. Like they cook you food, and what's incredible about this race is Roth is such a small town. I think you know Travis, correct me, and you probably have a better number because you were doing more of uh the reporting stuff for. 50- thousand people or something like that it's like a really small town i think it's a lot less actually yeah it might so it's even smaller and um they have a thousand people giving homestays because there's no big hotels there um some people might stay out in nuremberg or some of these surrounding cities but like there's a thousand different like places doing homestays of various sizes like it was me my coach jim and bradley weiss and his family all in our home that they just like said hey we have like three open beds like who do you want to give us and that i think that community is really what sets roth apart because they take just such good care of you and just want you to have the best experience and it was really like in the days leading up, I kept asking people like, Oh, why, why is Ross special to you guys? Like, why do you like having this race here? When usually if you take this race and you put it in, you know, in the middle of, you know, the USA, I think the town would be pretty upset that they were shut down for the entire day. Um, and they just kept talking about the spirit and, I, I knew exactly kind of what they were talking about. Cause like, you know, I'm in sport. That's why I love sport. There's that spirit behind it, but it was the atmosphere that they just loved being a part of to be at the start line, to feel the tension, to like send all the athletes off on their journey. And that's really, you know, the specialness about Roth is just how much they love triathlon. I think that is such a large <laughs> social economical craziness between american society and european even from my small experiences living a bit in austria and spending time with that community and having a bunch of german athletes on my my team over there like the the level of community is is different the towns are built different their personalities and the wholesomeness of the family values i feel are different and they just they give a shit way more than I feel like Americans sometimes do. Like we are, we'll take care of our own and we'll make sure we're good. But when it comes to taking care of others, like if it impedes upon my freedom, then I'm not sure I'm I'm stoked on it, but closing the roads completely, giving you an open free flowing race um, that probably you felt that every single day. And the baked goods, like, come on, the baked Mm -hmm. goods are amazing. Oh, I mean, Baker Schmidt. That was the famous bakery there, but I just did a quick look, you know, quick research. I think it is like 25,000 people ish in Roth. And then they estimated about 300,000 people came to watch the race. So you're like 10 times in the actual population. And it's, it's like total German logistics too. Like, you know, it's, you know, in St. George, when the year before they started doing all of the buses to get to the start line to help with the congestion, how bad that traffic jam was. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar setup to get to the race in Roth. Like you have one road that kind of leads to the parking lots and you can kind of get in it from two directions, but like the cars never stopped really. Like I stopped to hop out of the car, like a little closer and was like, trying to scramble out as all the other cars got away. Like it was super efficient. They handled all the people well. And yeah, it was like, everybody was just happy and excited to be there. It was, it was super cool. And in talking to some of the people who like grew up or were around in Roth, 
they just think that's what triathlon is like until they leave that town. They think <laughs> triathlon is this like superstar, like big event, which is super cool. It's just so unique. And it's really hard. You know, we could talk all day about like the atmosphere and the spirit and how cool it was, but it's just one of those things like you have to experience and that it's just like the solar hill. Like you have to be there to experience it. I could tell you like how close the people got, like, how you know it was it felt like they wouldn't get their cameras out of the way and stuff but like until you go there and you feel it like it's just it's out of this world yeah um travis you were immersed probably a little bit more in the behind the scenes production team stuff and how how well was that organized put together did you have a strict time period you had to be certain places and how were you how was your interview style like was everyone on hard deadlines how did that look yeah, so that was super interesting for me. I've never done anything like that before. I mean, the channel and everything's still new to me. Um, so, but going in, like Ben was saying earlier, like that office, that they're incredible. Like you experienced it when they didn't know if your family was going to be there too. I experienced it with when I got there and they were just like, oh my goodness, I don't think we've told you enough about what you're doing. And here, let's, you know, meet this person, this person, let's do more, let's do more together. We're so glad you're here. I mean, I got so many hugs, uh, felt like my shoulders were sore in the first day. So yeah, I just felt super welcomed. And honestly, like they put me in, up in a homestay as well. And to Ben's point, like, I couldn't believe how much they knew about the race. And when people hear homestay, they they might just think that you just stay at their house and you barely see them maybe or, you know, but no, they were just so involved. And everybody else I talked to at a homestay, they were, you know, they want to feed you, they want to tell you stories, they want to be, they want to know your life. They, yeah, so it's just such an incredible, authentic experience. But then as far as the behind the scenes goes, that I thought was just such a unique experience for someone like me as a fan, as an age grouper as well, to see all that it takes to put that on. Like I got to see that uh, for the press conference beforehand, um, the emails going into that and how big a deal just the press conference is to set up for them and making that professional and, and making sure it gets out to as many sources as possible. Um, so yeah, that was super, super amazing to see. And then as far as the race day, which I'm sure we'll get into more, it was a lot more times 10 and then double that than I thought it would be to put on a production of that uh, standard and Felix and his team. They're so like, it's incredible that their office is right there at the race. So like the production area is right next to where uh, he works and their, their whole team is coming back and forth with the production crew, making sure that that is, you know, working exactly how they want it to, as well as Belinda Granger. She is not only just commentating up there, but she is heavily involved in putting on the production and what goes on behind the scenes. So yeah, there's so many more moving parts than, than I thought there'd be. What is the number of age group participants versus professional participants? That's something I didn't really ever know. Do either of you know that? I think I know for the age Try, groupers, I it was mean, about 3,500. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they have about 1500 relays or so. So it's like, 5,000 total age groupers, I think, um, somewhere around there. And I think for the professionals, we probably had 30 some, I would say total. Like I forget. Cause you know, some guys kind of got added. Some guys got taken off as the race got closer, like they usually do. But, um, it was a pretty full start line overall where they had us plenty of space, but it was, it still was a decent amount of guys. It wasn't necessarily small or overly large. Mm -hmm. Perfect size. It seemed like, I mean, enough, 
of depth of field yeah. men and women's side to create an interesting race and also not enough to crowd the swim start corral like we have in St. George where we can't, we're three, we're three deep. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah for sure. Well, I mean, yeah, that in-water start, they definitely give you enough space, which, you know, sometimes they don't, they do it right with the lane line to keep people from moving forward. And um, yeah, I mean, as far as the pro field, like there had always been a good field in Roth, but for sure this year it, ha it had like, you know, six to 10 guys and especially women too, like on both sides who were just super competitive and yeah, definitely made for like some crazy race dynamics. Speaking of that, um, let's kind of go through a quick, you know, we can touch on the swim bike and run individually. Um, it, it's in a canal for the swim. Am I correct? Yeah. And the canal, you know, is it's cool. Like it's funny because the, so the wetsuit cutoff is different for age groupers and pros. Pros is like 21.9 um, Celsius. And then the age groupers are like 23. And I think for the most part, the age groupers will always be wetsuit swim. Um, it's just, it never gets that warm um, for the pros. It's always different. And they do have the ability to like use the locks to turn over the water and so that was the whole thing throughout the year or throughout the days leading into the race is it was hot. So it would warm up um, and then we'd get some rain and it might cool it down. And we also were like, oh, it's pretty warm. I don't think even turning over the water could do it. But it was like just under like 21.8. But I do think so with the wetsuits, with in-water start and with having like a 1200 meter start to the first turn buoy or something like that, maybe 1500 meters. Um it just doesn't allow you to break that hip as much. So that show that had us have about, you know, 10 guys in that front pack who are all swimming pretty well. Um, and yeah, that, that kind of is just, it, it stuck, sticks together then with the wetsuit. So, um, overall though, I would say pretty fast swim is pretty glassy, not much current, pretty straightforward overall, like pretty literally straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. The footage showed it. Um, did you get out on the swim also, Travis, or were you kind of waiting for the moto? Yeah. So this is where the madness began for me because, you know, it's <laughs> for my first time doing it. This is like my dream job and I've got, you know, Belinda and Jan in my ears, but I've also got the producing team and they've got heavy, thick German accents telling me what to do. And the signal out there is horrific with 3,500 athletes. Um, and it's Germany for some reason, they do everything else right, except for coffee, it seems, as well as internet. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah, so I was definitely a little bit frantic. I was supposed to get on a boat and so I could cover them a little bit from the perspective of a boat. Um, but instead, I couldn't get on a boat so i just ran down the canal to find the best spot of signal i could thankfully i found a spot where they could come down and talk to me and i could kind of give an update on who's at the front of the race how they're looking i still that's when i ran into jim vance actually sprinting along the side of the canal just and we ended up running together for quite a bit and he was talking to me about the dynamics of the race man he is so passionate about jim is a <laughs> hustler Jim's a rock star yeah. jim was a rock star at the race <laughs> he was living his best life the whole week <laughs> love in germany but man i think uh i think i gave him his workout for the week just trying to get from point to point all around roth and drive the car get on the bike he was running down the canal trying to give splits and stuff like by the end of the swim he was yeah he was uh full on that's awesome that's a great level of support um so yeah. the canal's uh, a great place to have the swim. I've always loved swimming in them. It keeps everything kind of contained. You know where exactly where you are at all times. 
Um, kind of Roth is known to have like one of the fastest Ironman courses, I think around, I think. Um, and that might just be because the conditions and everything is really suitable for a kind of a glassy swim wetsuit. And then the bike course mm -hmm. has always been for me. I'm not trying to throw any shade, but it always seems like the bike course gets like so ridiculously fast when I saw that big gap between Magnus and I think even some of the other guys behind, I was like, how the hell is he getting such, is it, he's so fast. What, why is the bike split so fast there? Well, I think this course too, um, you know, when you talk to different people who are in the race or who have looked closely at the race, it really suits Magnus super well. It suits his racing style. Um, one, the swim, just like the in water being in the wetsuit, being all lined up with it, hard to break the hip that, that type of PTO ITU type swimming where it's like short, fast to the first turn buoy. And then if you don't have that get out speed of just like, you know, everything sorting out in that like short amount of time. Um, I think that that's a lot, like a little bit more challenging for some people who get caught up in the middle, which maybe is where Magnus might be on those like shorter stints to the first buoy, um, but getting out and riding. So Obviously, Magnus is super dialed on the bike, um, spends time either on the velodrome, wind tunnel, um, bike fitting. He's just, I mean, with his 20-minute test at 503 watts, like, the guy has a motor. And a lot of this course is, like, it's a hard course overall, and it can be windy, and it's really deceiving at actually, like, how fast it is. So it has like really fast pavement, which I think is one of the main reasons why it just goes so fast is because it's not like chip seal. It's not rough. There's no real potholes or anything. It's just very well groomed the entire way. And you can get rolling. And if you stay rolling like that and can push the power, like we were riding, you know, 27 to 33 miles an hour with Magnus. Like when we're on the front, we're averaging high we averaged, you know, much slower without that train just, and that's with, you know, just normal drafting. And most of those guys in the front group were being super fair and not really taking like a ton of advantage of the 12 meter draft zone. So, um, I just think with his, the way that he rolls on the flats and in listening to some of the guys to just talk about what they've noticed, it seems like the flats are where Magnus just absolutely crushes. And in Roth, it is either like a couple percent up, a couple percent down, like kind of rolling like that, where he can really exert the power and keep moving. And then when it does kick, it doesn't kick for super long. And I don't think that maybe watts per kilo, which is still really high for him, really slows him down much. Um, so that it is curious because everybody thinks Roth is super flat and it's not. It's actually got a pretty significant amount of climbing. Okay. And then in terms of the moto brigade that does typically influence most Ironman races that are broadcast live, is that a factor at that race? Are there sometimes two or three motos? I know they just had that incident at a previous yeah. Ironman with a ton of motos. And I'm sure Roth was really hesitant to put a lot there. So how how did you feel about that from both your perspectives? Yeah. So Travis, I think, probably saw more of how Emoto actually acted since he was on the back of one. Um, as far as what I saw, like Roth announced they were taking motos off the course or reducing the amount um, way back in about December, I think. So before anything happened, and then they really cracked down and made sure and 
that was a huge stressor, I think, for the race to make sure that no accidents and no motos influenced the race in any way. So I can't speak to other years and and maybe rumors of how the moto brigade might have affected the race, but at least in terms of any motos around me, um, I felt like it was all pretty par for the course. It was fair. It wasn't like there was any with the way the wind was coming too they always sat off to the left and the wind would have been coming from the right or head on for a majority of the race. Um, and so I don't, I don't feel like the motos really played a huge aspect to the race overall. Now I obviously didn't see any of the motos and how they acted around Magnus or Sam, but I'm thinking that they probably treated it very fairly the way that we were. And I'll say like, Aside from sometimes like the the cameras for the broadcast, maybe coming up alongside and showing a side shot for a while, I feel like they either lingered behind or an official would be around kind of back and forth in the pack and nobody really like tucked in or anything like that for too long to influence the race. So um, I was at least super happy, especially, you know, on the second lap where it got a little hectic with the age groupers, um, which, you know, to your point of why it's so fast. I don't know exactly like for us, it was faster riding and trying to keep pace with Magnus because of just, you know, the level he was riding at, but there could be something to be said too, where you have to, you know, pass age groupers. Maybe there's this effect of, you know, you have everybody going the same direction. Like maybe there's Mm -hmm. a bit of a faster effect with other riders around, but um, honestly, I just think it's, it's how the course is and how you can probably stay arrow for most of it um and kind of do your thing and get into that rhythm and ride actually really hard um and not have the hills slow you down as much as you might think if you went out and i trained on that course for about a week and a half before the race and riding and training it was like this is a slow course like how do these guys ride fast and then you throw on race wheels and suit and aero helmet and everything and then you then you're like okay like, I guess I can start to see how this happens. And in the race, you just, you know, kind of start picking your way through. Yeah. Travis, your perspective on uh, how how hard was it for the motos to navigate, especially in that second lap? Yeah. Um, first off, I want to go back to what it was like before, because oh yeah, uh, it was super serious in the behind the scenes about the motorcycles. Uh, Felix and his team were nonstop talking about that and they even made me go to the motorcycle briefing even though it was in german and it was an hour long and it was in an extremely <laughs> hot room in this building behind the expo and uh yeah so they they just they took it very serious they even showed images of the incident at hamburg they were not going to let that happen again and after the race everybody was super uh they were all really happy with how fair they thought it turned out and they were you know even before the race they were being very honest with everything prior and um you know and then afterwards they were very fair in their critique i thought of of the race and then like i said it was earlier before we started recording it was super hard to keep up with uh the pros at the front of the race on the motorcycle there are some parts where there are barriers of course to close the other side of the road so it felt like we would catch up to those guys at the front of the race and then we'd get slowed down by a barrier as they were able to go around it um but otherwise yeah i mean like ben was saying it's just such a fast course and with all those age groupers moving i think that does uh make a difference as well i would say um but yeah otherwise being on the motorcycle felt super safe um my driver even he was very strict with me um and not messing around i think that might have just been the german tone <laughs> yeah but uh, they're rule followers <laughs> yes. 
Oh yeah. my gosh. So a quick story when I would spend some time in it over there is there would be like always this crosswalk and there, it was on the bike course of Ironman Austria and the, there would not really be any cars there, but you'd have to walk up and push a button to cross the street and you have to wait for the light to change and do all this thing. And I'm standing there, there's no one around. And like, there's a person waiting for that light. And I'm like, why are you waiting? You can just cross the street. <laughs> they are such rule followers to, to a great, very extreme. And I'm, I'm really happy that the bikes and the motos and everything challenge put into it was top notch. I would have expected nothing less. I just really wanted to kind of talk about it. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, I mean, it goes for all the spectators as well. And, um, I think it is you uh, interesting and important to note too, like it's a family event, like challenge buys the rights to the race. And so Felix and his family have been putting on this race for years. Um, and he does an amazing job and really you can see it's a 24 seven job for him, the way he treats it. And, he, I mean, talking to him, like super proud of the race, but like in all of the cool aspects, like if we're talking about the bike, like solar Hill is the famous Hill and I'll get into that, but like, it's not the hardest Hill. I rode it in the weeks leading to the race and like looked around and was like, I uh, just, I finished the Hill. Like it's, it's literally like kind of the middle of nowhere. Like it's, it's nothing. And then on race day, it's this huge party. There's a Hill out in like grading that is way steeper, way harder. And like crowds everywhere. Like every town is a little party. They have picnic tables, they're grilling, they're cheering. There was like, you know, these noisemaker wooden things on one part of the course, they had this gigantic one that was like 10 times the normal size and a little kid just pushing the wheel one by one. And, um, there's like solar Hill, like right before you get into it too, is absolutely wild. They have a Hill that goes up before you drop into Hippelstein and then you go out to solar Hill, like right there. But there were these people like first it's, it's a normal crowds, but then there's like these people like that are dressed in these robes with masks that look like shy guy from like Mario Kart. So like big black circles on it. And they have these sticks with whips and they're just like standing there just like what? whipping the air as you're going by. And so I'm like 50 minutes into this race or an hour and a half or something before we like, get out to the back half of the course. So after Magnus and Sam and Daniel have just shattered us and I'm like in a hole, like almost like cross-eyed, like trying to recover from that effort. And I see these guys that look like they're out of like medieval times, like the whatever, like the black death type, like things. Like I had to go back in the broadcast and find it and take a screenshot just to like figure out like, what was it that I saw? And I was like, <laughs> oh man, this is almost like a fever dream. But then you drop down and you turn this corner and it's just this wall of people and none of the videos you'll find online can actually make you feel what solar Hill is like, but they, I mean, they have tower speakers there for the guy on the microphone. And I wrote it up after Patrick Lang and Oh my God, like people were trying to stick their like, you know, $10,000 cameras out in front of me to take a picture of him going up solar Hill. And all it would have taken is like one little like flick of my wrist to like, you know, knock the camera out. But Felix says like every year, like there's not an incident at all. Like they've never had an incident on solar Hill, which is just so nuts with like, it's literally the tour, but like the stage of the tour where they're like feet from the riders and you're sitting there going like, you better move out of the way. You better move or somebody's going to knock one of these riders down. And yeah, that was like, my ears were ringing for a mile afterwards after going up that hill with like how loud they were yelling. It was just 
absolutely insane. Like that's something, and they do that for that in, like entire first lap. So all the age groupers get, you know, a very similar treatment of us, like of what we got, like going up that hill and just like them absolutely going nuts. It's the coolest thing in triathlon by far. Travis, did you have to ride moto through that? I didn't, they didn't let the motos go up. Uh, I think they, they just let the broadcast motor go up that one, but uh, the other one's not for safety, but yeah, I did get to go there and interview some of the age group athletes. They are, and the age groupers who are supporting their families and yeah, absolutely insane. And they were just like, this is my highlight of the year is to come to Solarberg and spectate. Like, this is the best thing of my year. Are they like getting blitzed out there? Just cooking you know brought first i mean yeah what are they doing out there <laughs> they could be but i mean I, you look at something like that like i don't know if you could do that in the u.s because there would be somebody who like stays too oh, long yeah. in front of a bike but like yeah they get right up in your face they'll yell they'll do all sorts of stuff but they nobody touched me like at all i think patrick was saying like he had some people like slapping him to go up the hill and stuff but like <laughs> overall like i don't think i really got touched at all it was just so loud they're, they're afraid to touch Americans because they figured you had a pistol and you'd shoot them. <laughs> yeah, they were too concerned about Patrick <laughs> to really worry about me. I was that the afterthought. Um, yeah, I think it's worth talking about that too, Ben, like your specific race day. I mean, obviously third place, spoiler alert, uh, Ben brought it home super strong and held off Patrick, or no, Patrick went second, sorry. Um, so really like, what was your dynamic like? Did you have a lot of highs and lows? Did the did the crowd keep you going more? Um, was the media there just like another buzz to keep you amped because you were, you know, probably one of the highlight reels? You know, what what was going through your mind during that bike race? Yeah, you know, I really didn't know what to expect fully going into this race because it was my first full distance block. Um, before Arizona, I maybe had like a week to like kind of dial in paces. But this was my first extended block of like actually training for something and knew I was super fit, knew I was in better shape than Arizona, but I didn't know how it would compare to all the other guys. And that was like kind of the biggest question mark. So obviously, you know, the swim was good, but didn't go the way we wanted because when I came out and Jim was holding the board for the gap to, he was only going to give me two people, Patrick Lang and Magnus Ditliff, and he just had a big old zero with the slash <laughs> through it. I was like, well... That's how the day is going to go today <laughs> and got out on the bike first, which was also super cool. Cause you know, the crowds all riled up even yeah. on the bridge from the swim. And that was just, that was like a mini solar hill. Um, but I just kind of tried to find my rhythm and just kind of had a tough time, like figuring that out until Magnus came by and it was just full on from that aspect. Like I held probably three thirty or a little more, uh, average power for the first 45 minutes or so of an Ironman. And I talked to Laidlo. He was like, you know, mid three hundreds and everybody's just waiting for Magnus to chill. But I had Patrick right on my wheel and I was like, you know, he's not going to stop until Patrick is gone. And like, it doesn't look like Patrick is going to really leave this group at all. Um, and, you know, at least in my first Ironman, like I was alone for a hundred miles. Like I got dropped 20 miles into the bike by Skipper and Hogan Hog. And this time, you know, I hung around a little bit longer with those guys, but I at least had Patrick and Peter Hemrick at first. Um, and then Daniel was with us for like five, 10 minutes um, as he figured out his like kind of gearing issues. So I always kind of had somebody, which was nice. Um, but of course, like all you can do is just focus on your race and, 
once I heard Magnus and them were three to four minutes ahead at like the 40 K mark, I was like, well, that's going to be at least 10 minutes by the end of the bike. Like we're not going any faster. We were already pushing pretty hard. So I just tried to focus on what I could do and was frankly kind of almost like, where's the other group? Are they going to catch us or not? And we just kept holding that gap. And I was like, all right. Um, I know Patrick wants to run like at least 229. So I'm just expecting him to do that. Uh, laid low. I hope he overbiked. Um, I, and you know, at this point later on in the bike, I'm like back guard has some sort of issue. I'm not sure what it is. Cause he dropped back. And I was like, I, I assumed Magnus would run, you know, 238 to 240. Um, and I just got off the bike and had good run legs and just tried to find a rhythm. And it was a fast enough rhythm to be competitive, to know, you know, be close if somebody just faded up front. Um, but I didn't want to run with Patrick. I don't think anybody does. And um, I was running like 548 pace for the first 10K or so. And Patrick slowly pulled away. But I also was hearing that Magnus and Sam were running the same pace. And I was like, all right, well, you know, that's that's not <laughs> exactly ideal. Like fourth place is pretty rough. Like for this long, like fourth place is like, you know, very much the bridesmaid in that situation that like just totally going to be ignored, but whatever it was telling myself, you know, third is better than fourth. Like just wait for something like statistically, probably somebody is going to falter somewhere. Um, and I was also running quick. So I'm like, fifth is even worse than fourth. Like, and you have Joe Skipper, Daniel Backegaard, you know, even Bradley Weiss and some of those guys like running behind. And I figured some of those guys, you know, were capable of 235. And at that time I'm running 233 and just, you know, kind of playing the waiting game. I just kept telling myself, like, wait to 25K, get off the canal and see where you're at before you make any moves to where the second half of the marathon is super hilly and like really pretty tough. Um, and about 15K in, um, I kind of was getting gaps that Daniel was about 330 back. And I'm like, okay, that's manageable at this point. Um, but still, you know, a little close for if I blow up or something, but I heard Sam Laidlow go from 12 minutes, to like seven forty-five, And I was like, okay, he's mine now. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to see. And I could still see Patrick at this point. He was about a minute and a half, two minutes maybe. And I was like, okay, well, I must be running decent. Like I'm two thirty-three marathon pace at this point, like feeling pretty solid, just trying to take in calories, which was also another cool thing about the race. You could have a support person at every aid station. So oh. Jim just kept leapfrogging me to give me bottles and stuff, which really I think was, that's an amazing thing to have, to have your own support out there. And, um, I was just trying to take in calories that whole first half of the marathon and stay cool. Um, but yeah, watching Jim try and do that a couple of times, like miscommunication or something like almost fell off his bike, like trying to hand me something. Cause I just was coming up so quick. Cause there's only two K between yeah. each one. And it got even harder when I made the pass for third at like, 22k or something because then the moto was there and they were saying like nah you can't go past here like you can't go past the moto when it's right there you can't interfere with the broadcast and the race so he was like trying to figure out like go down to the bottom of the canal where there's like a little service road to try and get around but then got stopped because it ends so he had his own logistical issues but um yeah it was just like for me i found out by like 30k Cause that was like my main goal. That's 18 miles in you got, you know, eight miles to go. Um, still quite a ways, but like it would be through the town, a lot more people. Um, Daniel had dropped back to four to five minutes at that point. And so 
mathematically, I'm like, he's got to run at least 10 seconds a K or 10 seconds a mile or more That's a big to ass. catch me. Yeah. And as long as I'm running this 550 to 555 pace, like he's probably not running 545 pace now. Um, and I saw Patrick, some people were like, he's fading. And I saw his tempo <laughs> and his turnover. And I'm like, no, he's not like, he's running really fast. Like through that, like I'm starting to really hurt now. Um, and I kind of went into like self-protection mode. Cause I, I knew capability wise, you know, if I ran two thirty, that was going to be on a super flat course on my very best day off of a soft bike. Uh, I, I put myself right around a two thirty five marathon, um, and I was pretty much at that pace until I hit the hills with like four to six miles to go. And I think that's where everybody's wheels just fell off. And that was those last four miles were probably the hardest four miles of any run I've ever done. Like I've never oh, wow. just hurt so bad. Like my legs were just screaming because you climb up this hill all the way out to this like town. And I even misread the map and thought we turned at the top of the hill. But no, you go up and over the hill down. And people are like partying out at this far end. And I'm just like, God, you guys got to turn off the grills now. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm in a bad place, like praying. Like I saw Magnus, he, he, I was running a little bit faster than him. And then he made it all back up on the Hills, even though he was hurting too. Patrick only faded a little bit and I saw them pass. And I'm like, where is this turnaround? Like this is forever. Oh. And I ran that whole section too. It's like diagonal, but like worse. Yeah. Um, it's like when you like even kick up to the golf course and I'd ran it and I knew it and um, at least most of the section, but it's so much slower in the race. Like when you're 22 miles in. Um, but yeah, at that point I was like, just keep turning over. Even if you run seven minute pace into the finish line, like you have third, um, I think Jim at one point yelled, you still have a chance to break 235. And I looked at my watch. I'm like, that was like 10 miles ago, man. Like that was if I ran a 235 marathon, like I'm going to be lucky. I just want to get in. At this like, point. I just so, don't care about that anymore, Jim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but no, and then running into the stadium, it's 10,000 plus people just all oh. screaming and yelling and just trying to soak it in. And, um, I don't think I realized like I broke any American record or anything until after the race, but just knew like that, that on that day, that was probably the best I had, you know, maybe you could squeeze out a couple minutes here or there. Uh, if you, you know, paced it absolutely perfectly, but, um, overall, like that was with the way that those guys up front, like you're not going to run with Patrick nine times out of 10 on the, the marathon and Magnus is the same way on the bike. So, uh, I was super happy with how I executed it, especially for my second full distance ever. That's incredible. Like, I love hearing that drama that every athlete goes through, especially when you're fighting for that podium to hear, like, it's, it could seem so like, like you've lost it so many times, but then no matter what, you just didn't stop. And everybody else is kind of thinking that same thing. Like, I'm on the edge of just literally losing it all right here. Um, but, but amazing yeah, that you it were was able like, to yeah, I, I mean, I don't like Ironman is such a long day. The full distance racing is like, you know, in middle distance, you can kind of get away with it. And Olympic and sprint, super sprint, you can race on that emotion and that raw just energy that you get pumped up from. I think I felt like I stayed very calm, I think, for most of the race. The most psyched I think I got because, you know, just throughout the race was the swim was pretty level. It was more of just trying to figure out where things were. The bike, Solar Hill by far, was the coolest. Like, it's just hard not to get excited there, um, even as much as I tried not to. Like, 
I just tried to like look around and take it in. Um, but on the marathon, Ernie Mantel was racing another U S guy and he was coming the other way on the canal and he saw me in third and he was just like, yeah, fuck yeah, America. Like, <laughs> let's go. And like that at like 20 K in, um, like a half marathon in, I was like starting to get pumped. And then I'm like, Oh no, no, no. It's way too early to get excited here. And then shortly after, like I ran through the main aid station and saw Eric win there. And he like slaps me on the ass, like super hard as I run by. And I'm like, okay, like don't cramp first of all. And then just like, keep it steady. I just, I was such a rhythm runner that whole first 30 K the 18 miles. Yeah. I think that's what really helped me keep my cool throughout that race. Cause I just had locked into what was probably right on the edge of what my capability was, but yeah, so many ups and downs, like running on cobbles up the hill, the, the far part of the course is just, the crowds are gone. It's completely quiet. It's humid and hot, even though there's some shade with the trees and you're just, you're just far away enough away from the finish line where you're like questioning everything about the choices you made to get to that point. But you're close enough to be like, I can keep going. Like I'm close enough. I can make it to the finish in third. Like the math in my head just kept getting better. I'm like, okay, three miles. He's got to run a minute faster than me every mile. Just don't walk like two miles. Like you got it. And then some guy, I swear, like a thousand meters from the finish line goes, he's coming. And I'm like looking back, like, no, like, did he just pull something incredible? And I'm like concerned. Cause I'm not going to go that whole way in third and pull one of those, like going crazy. And he like slips by me at the end. Yeah. So that's why somebody asked me like, did the balloon kids running in with you? Like make you think somebody was there. And I'm like, no, nah, I had some guy who was, I swear said he's right there. <laughs> I'm like trying to protect my third place. It was the devil. Yeah, exactly. I could have hallucinated it. Um, yeah, Travis, I'll, I want to get your perspective on all this real quick. Um, but, but before I do that, Ben, I know everyone has probably been asking, and this is always one of the biggest questions after an athlete does well, you'll probably get asked for a long time. Can you tell us about some of the gear choices in terms of, you know, obviously a, an opportunity to promote people who've been taking care of you also? Well, what did you take? Yeah you know, what is your breakfast routine? What is your, um, you know, bike solution yeah. for fueling and what did you take on the run? Just, you don't have to go super crazy on it and nerd out on, you know, yeah. but well, I'll do a, a shameless plug, um, yeah. on my Instagram in the links in the bio, there is a link to my nutrition club and I posted to what I planned for my nutrition and then what I actually executed, yep, but I saw that. I'm partnered with the feed. Yeah. I partnered with the feed and they have, you know, everything you could think of for nutrition wise, but the main brands I use were never second Martin and Enervit and basically cycled through those. So I had different types of gels, um, and just drinks to help with the palate fatigue that you get. Um, I always start with a Martin on the bike, uh, a bottle of, uh, two times one sixty of those packets up front. Cause I find it's more palatable at the beginning of the race than at the end. Um, and it just sits a bit better, um, for an Ironman distance race. I do have some precision hydration, uh, the 60 grams to get in the, the sodium. Cause that's probably the highest sodium yeah, race drink I'll, I'll have. Yeah. And that helps me balance out cause everything else is pretty low and I don't need a ton of sodium. Um, but I'm, I'm a heavy sweater in the fact that I have a pretty high volume for the most part or moderate to high, but my sodium is definitely moderate at, at most. Um, 
And then I go switch to Enervit, which just the taste profile to me, the two to one isocarb is just awesome. I love it. Yeah. And I think the Martin caffeine, caffeine gels are the best. Uh, and the never second 30 fruit punch gels just agree with me. So that's kind of the basics of what I did. Um, and since, you know, I got the support of Jim, um, I had some sport like Enervit on the run and some frozen bottles, uh, along with some various gels. Uh, one last type of gel that I absolutely love is the Enervit liquid gel. It's literally like a sports drink in a pouch and it's, it goes down super easy. Um, the swim, you know, I, I wear magic five goggles, DeBoer wetsuit. Those are two of the best in the business. In my opinion, um, would probably wear both of those, uh, regardless. Um, same thing with bikes track. I've been with them for 10 plus years. I've worked with park at psychologic to dial in my fit. And he was sending me pictures after the race actually in the fit lasted really well to in a super aero position throughout the whole time, which I was super happy yeah, about. You, you were really always... tucked in. Thanks. That's been, you know, a huge step for me to do that. And a lot of that, I have to give credit to Matt Pendola as well for his strength training, because he has really helped with my mobility and just the strength that I have to hold that position. Um, it's definitely not something that I did overnight. I've worked years at it. Um, and running, uh, I love super shoes. I love the rocket X twos. Like I've, uh, you know, tested, uh, against a large number of brands just to, and talked with people about, you know, what are theirs and you're seeing more and more people actually switch to Hoka, I would say, or actually choose to run in it before they sign. Um, and I've, you know, tried the rocket X two in early stages as well. And Hoka just does a great job overall on their shoes and in, in developing. And, um, yeah, I loved it. So that's, you know, kind of a roundup of quite a few of the different pieces of main gear that I used. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, everything kind of coming together, having the right equipment and just having the body too. I guess one last plug to Jim Vance. Cause yeah. you know, sometimes I look at the workouts and the taper and stuff and go, what are you doing? And we always have a conversation like having him there was super key. Cause a couple of times I was like, dude, this is dumb. What are we doing here? <laughs> yes. Like, why are we doing this? And he's like, well, we got to do something like we just go back and forth and we finally settle on something and it ends up being the right thing. So it's that back and forth. And he puts up with me sometimes in doing that. And I put up with him telling me to just, you know, shut up and do it sometimes. So we have a good relationship in working through that and to have him there and to be able to be there for like, you know, eight out of the 10 days I was there was super key and made things like much smoother than, you know, if it was just me solo. Yeah, the team aspect that you've built over the years, I'm sure you've had to rely on heavily. I know for sure Jim is always trying to balance the metabolic load. You're always thinking about, well, I'm just tired. I don't really want to do it. So like, there's always a little push-pull. <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah. Um, well, and that's just too, it's like, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time. And I mean, Jim and I have worked together seven years, but, um, you know, the athlete knows the body really well. And the coach learns it and everything, but you need that feedback too. And sometimes when he puts stuff up, like I maybe just don't understand the reasoning behind it, or he maybe doesn't understand all of the stressors that are going on just in life in general. So it's that back and forth and that's how you get the, the best plan overall. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Travis, you're there. Can I, Sorry. Can I, can I jump in for a quick question back to no, the nutrition? Come on in and please right. ask. So Ben, yes. how long did it take you to figure out the Ironman nutrition? And that was that something 
super different to doing a 70.3? So I'm going to plug the feed again because they have um, nutrition coaches and stuff on call to actually help you sort through your nutrition as well. And I've talked with, you know, them and a number of other sports nutritionists and, you know, the science is pushing towards more and more carbs that you can take. Um, and, you know, the sodium's always kind of been relatively the same, like it just is very dependent on the person. Um, but I think what is super valuable about the feed for me is I can take in so many different sources of carbohydrate. So I took about I'd say an average about 110 to 120 for the day. And I'd planned on about 135 or so, but I skipped a gel here or, you know, stopped fueling at mile 18 or so on the marathon just to settle the stomach and not really overdo it. And you're pretty close to the end. Um, so I was lucky enough, like I raced my first Ironman on just liquids on infinite, um, which is a great product. It's on the feed as well, but um, I you know, super loading your bottles and stuff can be hard, especially when it gets hot. So having the gel option was great. Um, mm -hmm. And really, it was just a lot of trial and error of trying to see how much I could take. And if you're taking a gel every 30 minutes, and I like to concentrate my bottles at 80 to 90 grams of carbohydrate, you naturally tend to get a high grams of carbs. And what really confirmed it was the workout I did on Fiesta Island. And I think I took a quick snapshot and put that up on social media at one point. But I did a five hour and 15 minute ride there with probably four hours and 10 minutes of work at or above Ironman pace. And I wasn't even trying to count grams of carbs. I was just trying to take enough energy to keep me fueled, work through all the bottles. And I added it up afterwards. And I'm like, this entire workout, I'm like, I took in like 800 grams of carbohydrate. I'm like doing the math. I'm like, that's like 150 grams an hour that I was just taking. And that gave me the confidence too, to be like, okay, like, and I use a super sapiens monitor too. So I can kind of see the fluctuations in glucose and uh, blood glucose levels. And um, like any data point, I don't rely solely on that, but by taking in how I feel, how my stomach feels, I've been able to recognize, you know, in a race, do I need more calories? And um, I'll just end it with one quote I have from one of my old coaches who I still keep in contact with a bit and was always telling me I'd be really good at Ironman, but uh, his advice or one of his advices was like, you know, if you're starting to feel angry or just like upset, like during the Ironman, like try eating, like you might just have low blood sugar, like just try eating a little bit and that might help. So um, I could probably, you know, talk a full hour about nutrition and, and all that sort of stuff. But um, I think the long answer or maybe now the short answer to the the question you were asking is. I, I took what I knew in 70.3 and tried to apply it to Ironman and just, um, you know, really listen to my body and what I was capable of and not overdo it and force anything. Um, but just, you know, have the basics down. And then if you have the basics, you can adapt on the move. If you lose a bottle, if you're not mm. feeling good, whether it's too much or too little, um, as long as you know those basics, then you can apply it in the situation. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, one more quick one. When did the satisfaction hit you? Because it must have maybe been a little bit after maybe relief after you finally finished. But when did the satisfaction of what you've done hit you after you crossed that finish line? I think I'm still trying to realize it um, overall. Because, you know, when, when you do a race like that and you get, you know, beat by 12 minutes too, like I, I'm, I'm thinking about the next one. Like I'm thinking about the next step. This is like, 
one more piece in the puzzle for me and one more um just it's one more thing building towards that momentum like it all kind of started in saint george last year where i had that great race at worlds um then was able to go to iron man arizona have a couple strong races earlier this season um and then here just be able to perform on a big stage like it's just using all of that to just continue with that consistency and um I think it was probably like later that evening a bit though that I started like, Hey, like once we figured out too, like, I think that's an American record, like to really think about it and think like, Hey, I'm the fastest American ever at the Ironman distance is pretty wild, especially with, you know, some of the names that have come through triathlon, um, like especially in the U S like that was, uh, that's pretty special. And I was talking with somebody else. I'm like, I don't, think I've had any other record, especially in triathlon, aside from maybe the pool record at my high school for the 500 free. I think that might be the only other record that I would have. So to be able to come here or go to Roth and race the fastest Ironman is just like, yeah, that's, that's still sinking in a little bit. Amazing. Yep. I think, uh, that perspective and testing and having the level headedness and the fueling aspect of it is probably one of the most contentious parts of the sport with all the athletes I coach and work with. I mean, everybody can do the work, not everybody can recover, but not everybody can also figure out the fueling program because let's face it, the traditional American diet is not really good for the gut biome. Um, you know, the stress levels that we're all under aren't really good if you can't recover, so replicating what Ben did is, is still just tough in general to make sure that you can absorb that amount of carbs at effort and knowing your sodium loss rate. And of course, number one thing is, as we all know, is, is testing is key. You have to plan your big days around big nutrition days as well. And I think, Ben, that five-hour ride, I've ridden Fiesta Island, I think maybe maximum laps I've done at once were maybe like, 15 or something dude i can't imagine you being out of there for that good. long i think i was i was somewhere around 30 laps i think but oh. you know for oh. me you give me a stretch of road like that's like a four mile loop three mile loop um but you can just do you could stay in arrow forever there like there's yeah. the odd car here or there you might have to slow down for but like once i'm dialed in um i guess i, I listen to quite a few podcasts or like music or something but like I just want to hit the numbers and that just gave me the perfect opportunity to get as close to race simulation as I could. Um, so yeah. And I, I mean, I can't stress enough. You got to test what you're going to do in a race before you actually get to the race and don't change anything. There's so much temptation to take the next best thing in the race. Like, Oh, this person does that. Or like, I want to take that gel, but like test it out before, like, even if it's a week before, like test it out and make sure it actually agrees with you at a race effort at like the end of the workout or something. Like if you change something on race day, you're just asking for a disaster because you just don't know how your body will respond, especially if that, you know, nutrition item has a ton of sugar or a ton of sodium or a ton of caffeine overloading yourself. Like Nick, you mentioned like your body can only take in so much at one time and absorb it. So um, I think it's yeah, it's just testing it. Yeah. Well, and also like, I'm even scared. Like I've tried, I bought some of that Martin, um, bicarb product just cause it's been getting all this hype and I tested it twice yeah. during some workouts at home and it's like 6,000 milligrams of sodium or something like that. And I was it's like, a super interesting product. Yeah. I, 
and I don't know, I have to race in Ecuador this weekend. I don't know if I want to try it. I'm scared. I'm scared that I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. I don't think I'm going I'm, to yet. So honestly, like I've, I've used three of the four packets. I think I tested it twice and I might've used it in Ibiza, I think, um, because I figured out like kind of the quirks of it, but it is like, and I've, I mean, you see like Matt McElroy just had issues with it with him and he's just decided I don't really like using it for racing and talking with one of the sports nutritionists at the feed. He's like, you know, right now I'd use it for training for a lot of the half and above it's, you know, it's still up in the air, how much it helps you. Um, maybe for that swim start for us pros, like, cause it's so intense, but I would say too, like, that's one of those things, like make sure you have it three hours before. Cause you, that it definitely, I, I would say an hour and a half after, like I found it was just, you know, I was running to the bathroom a bit yeah. more. It's like having a second cup of coffee. And that is just, that's why you test because it's supposed to be fine on your stomach and way better than just taking straight up baking powder, baking soda, but it's still, you know, sitting in there and has to digest. And there's still a little bit of, you know, side effects that can happen. And yeah, you just don't know that until you go out and you try and get out the door and you hammer. So, um, and that goes with anything like, you know, any sort of gel or any crazy product, like just don't do it starting, you know, four or five days out from the race, honestly, a full week, you shouldn't do anything yeah. different than you normally do. Um, cause why mess with it? You have so many other races to test on, like, just don't, don't do anything new that week leading in. Yeah. And plus like the fact that it has so much sodium, it's like, how does that interact with any other yeah. my sodium drinks that I still need to drink? So I think that's probably a big gray area that we all probably are just going to test on our own for training for sure. But to that effect, uh, Travis, you were out there on site watching the race unfold. Um, you were had the broadcast in your ear. You were part of the the whole shebang. Like, what was the most memorable aspect for you know the bike run, watching the pro athletes intermixing with the male and females? Like, what mattered most to you to make Roth so spectacular? I think yeah, like Ben was saying, it's just the crowd was so much more crazy than I could have imagined. And just the fact that they are not only cheering for the pros, like when Magnus and Sam would come by, they would go wild, but like, or, and Fenella too, they love Fenella because I think people have all seen her smile. People love I see that again. <laughs> yes. And I was trying to get them hyped up so I could see her smile too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they would also just, I mean, every age grouper that would come by, they would cheer them on like no other as well. I mean, it's just the, it's like, humanity at its best i feel like you know just they give up their whole day it was hot out there you know they were all just kind of saying it wasn't as hot as last year but it was still freaking hot out there and humid and they you know everybody's just getting sunburned and drinking beer and just cheering on everybody and i couldn't believe that honestly some parts especially um at the finish line at the after party and watching the last people come in i mean that light show and everything i was like almost in tears a lot of time like it was so many people just uh giving up their whole life their holidays their vacations to come all the volunteers to put this event on i think the fact that they have so many volunteers too makes it just like such a well-oiled machine it was honestly nothing seemed to be like chaotic even in the broadcast a little bit and especially for 
for my side of things with the signal and everything, I didn't get to report as much as I'd hoped. And um, they hope to have me back next year with a, a new system so I can like just focus on the pros because I had to do a lot for the age groupers. And so wait, media. so you're, you're already signed for next year? They signed me. They yeah. me for next year. So that's pretty <laughs> nice. exciting. Yeah. That's I think they, yeah. thank you. They felt so bad. I think that uh, it didn't really work for me because of the signal and stuff. Um, and I didn't really mind because I had had such a great time, you know, honestly, just going around the course. Um, but they had me back on for the finish line stream where Jan and Belinda interviewed me about my episode. And so that was amazing. I mean, I was trying not to fangirl over being you know, around Jan, but I happened to be wearing his Ryzen socks at the time too. So I showed them after the interview and I was a little embarrassed about doing that. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, you didn't ask him to sign them for you. That was good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, it was just really amazing just being there with all the pros. And uh, I mean, everybody, even the pros are all so close and such good friends. And I thought that was amazing to see. And I don't think a lot of people in my shoes get to see that a little bit of the behind the scenes everybody's telling every every all the pros telling each other about you know their dynamics of the race what they thought and and go, getting to go to the after party and uh, just the camaraderie that you guys all have been it's just it's wonderful special sport it is i think there's a lot to be said about the culture of triathlon in in europe specifically raw it's, it's been a race that's been a golden nugget for me. I, I'm definitely going to put my name in the ring for next year to go have some fun and try to race. I have to become a long course specialist since I'm getting older and I have to do, have to step up. Um, but I think, do you guys think there's any races like that in the U S where people generally get that hype? I mean, why wildflower might've been, um, do we have anything like that? Oh, we were sitting around trying to figure out just any town that would be similar and, Honestly, you know, I like a smaller version of it is I feel like St. George a little bit like they've embraced the race a lot more there um, than a lot of other towns. But like there's nothing like Roth in the U.S. just with how the race takes over. There's how accommodating people are like everybody was so helpful. Like it's it sounds like a broken record for us saying it, but it was like people are just so nice there and it's just a, a constant everywhere. And they're so proud of the race that they have. Like they, they erected the finisher banner and they have a permanent, it's permanently there. It's not, they don't take it down so that people can oh, go cool. see it, take pictures with it. If people come and train, like the finish line stays up year round, just like the arch. And that just, I mean, it says a lot, like the town has a countdown in their town of when the race is coming back in on an electric billboard there. So like, it's just, there's nothing, nowhere else ever anywhere that really embraces triathlon in a race like that town does it's super unique and just it should be a bucket list race for everybody because you're gonna get like star treatment when you go and it's just that the atmosphere the spirit of it is so worthwhile i think you're right st george has a dot statue right in the town square but yeah. i'm gonna suggest we put a countdown timer or something that's a great idea like every town should have that for the next Ironman event. And then they can know when to not drive around town and get pissed off because <laughs> the roads are closed. Yeah. But I think you're right. Um, I, that's mainly why I wanted to do this episode, Ben, obviously to highlight your massive accomplishment. That record is amazing. Uh, congratulations on that for real. Like thanks that we're, we're so proud of you for doing that, but I know 
I know what it's like to go over to another country. I spent a bunch of time over there and the European flair and vibe is just like, it's magnetic. They, they do take care of you, the family values. Everyone has a garden. Everyone's really wholesome. Travis, I'm sure you felt that too. And it's something I, I wish all of us could experience more often. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to make it a point to go back. And then you got to try Ironman Austria. You got to try it. You just got to do it. The party there is awesome. Um, the people are awesome. The roads, like to, to the point of European roads being so flat and smooth and fast. Like I think Ironman Austria has a 6,400 feet of climbing. And the, we came through the first loop, I think in like two hours and three minutes. Like just because it's really hilly in Europe doesn't mean you go slow at all. You go fast because the downhills are so good the pavement's so good and it's just on um that was a great comment that made me think of that yeah for sure and i mean the way like we'll see it in nice too when everybody goes and races there but like you become a better cyclist when you're in europe as well um one you feel welcome on the roads and definitely pay attention for if there's a bike path versus a road to ride on because you should always ride on the bike path they're pretty serious about that there um, I've learned that, you know, in more than a few cities where I hadn't noticed and got a, it's a friendly honk though. It's like a, Hey, just move over type like, of honk, that, not a super angry, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what are you doing? Dumb American, like <laughs> get over to the bike path. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just the technical aspects too, like these guys are going to, the nice descent is going to be a lot of fun to watch from afar. Cause the European riders will probably ride it a lot different than some of the others because you do, you grow up on narrower roads. Also just, I think some of the cycling culture there too, is you use the whole road and you're not afraid of what comes around the bend. Whereas I'm always like, you know, thinking there's a car right around the corner. So, um, yeah, it's just, it is a super cool, like, you know, athletic culture, cycling culture, just in Roth triathlon culture that that's happens over there. Yeah. Travis, any final notes and uh, plugs from your end that we can do? I mean, Travis, obviously, Daily Try. Go check out his YouTube channel and his podcast, and it's amazing. He, the questions he asked, or he had me on as a guest, and I felt very important, which is very rare. So thank you so much. Um, any plugs from you, bud? Yeah, I just think uh, more is going to come out for me. I'm now able to do this full time. For some reason, PTO Ironman listening hired me on as a reporter. I absolutely love doing that in Roth. Oh, uh, congrats, man. So I've, I'm actually going to head to the PTO Open and do more content around there. I just actually recorded an episode with Mark Dubrick from Real Tri Squad as well. So super, super excited to do more and uh, also going to talk to Ben later as well. And yeah, I just I can't. I just love the sport so much. I think it should be way bigger. I mean, Roth is a prime example of that. That needs to be happening in cities and towns across the world because um, it's it's life changing. So, yeah, thanks both of you for coming on. I know uh, I know you're going to see each other again later. So hopefully this was just a good warm up. Um, someone's <laughs> going to get dinner maybe. Uh, but anyways, Ben, again, amazing. What's next for your schedule before we sign off? Thanks. I'm going to have a huge August, uh, going to Milwaukee to do the PTO event there. And then I'll go to Singapore and do the PTO event as well. And then straight to Finland and race the half Ironman world champs. And then I'll take some time off a little bit, um, go to my brother's wedding and then kind of finish off the year with, you know, maybe a race here is or there. Want to um, go to Israel with me and race? 
Iron Man no, is I'm real. Not go- I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Daytona, and then we're gonna go to Disney World to end the year. That's pretty not set in stone, but like that's I think really what we would like to do. Um, that would be a fun family trip to to end the year rather than me just you know kind of going off somewhere by myself again. Want to take the family along. Got a friend out in Orlando too, so they love Disney World. So it's it's gonna be a fun trip. Yeah, I'll be there at Clash Daytona. Uh, cannot miss that race. Cannot miss the Clash crew. Bill yeah. Christie, we lay out of love him. Um, I think this is actually going to yeah. be a good Daytona this year. Ellie Salthouse says she's going to go race two for the women's side. I think you just got to yes. get on there. I'm going to make sure, Travis, that you're on the short list to get brought on to that race as well for commentary. Perfect. I'll, I'll put it in. I'll make sure their budget's big enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it. <laughs> All right, guys, you both been on the show. Give me a good peace out. So, ready? Peace. Oh, see you guys. I got ish to do. Flying through the sky in my parachute. Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise on a one man mission trying to see it through.